This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. We are back. Matthew Collar, Darren Doogie Wolfson with you here filling in for Mackie and Judd. And uh, Doogie just comes out of left field entirely with some information that the name Miguel Sano is out there on the market. Now, here's uh, the thing. He probably isn't good enough right now in his career or has not done enough for other teams to say, absolutely, yes, our superstar for your superstar that you would need to add something else. Now, if that was Nick Gordon, would the Minnesota Twins add Nick Gordon to the mix to try and bring in an ace superstar pitcher? Well, first off, I think it depends on who we're talking about specifically. Like, do you consider Garrett Cole a superstar? If the Twins really wanted Cole, who's only under team control for two more years, he's a Scott Boros client. Yeah. So you know he's getting the free agency. You're not signing him to an extension in the next year. Right. I can guarantee you the Pirates would say, sure, we will take Miguel Sano for Garrett Cole. So I guess right. it depends on who specifically well, let's you're just talking say, um, about. Let's stay with the Chris Archer scenario. That Archer is I don't know if he's among the elite pitchers in Major League Baseball, but he probably qualifies as a legit number one or number two starter that the Minnesota Twins don't exactly have right now. Barrios is on that track, but there was ups and downs last year, so you can't be sure of that. Uh, Irvin Santana had a great season, but he's, what, 37, 36? Mm -hmm. uh, you wouldn't say that about him. Archer is right in the middle of his prime where a lot of Major League Baseball players take off. And he has not had any of the arm issues that would scare you about many pitchers. He's over 200 innings three years in a row. He's made over 33 starts three years in a row. He seems to not be falling off at all. His strikeout rate is exactly the same. Um, his walk rate is extremely low. I mean, this guy's an all-star ace-level pitcher. That has to take more than Miguel Sano. It's just... Which, I think so. I which, told you. I don't see where the Rays would say, even though they need a third baseman. Heck, you need a third baseman? Go sign Todd Frazier. There's a bunch of third basemen that are free agents right now. I'd gladly take Todd Frazier. They're not doing Chris Archer. Four years of Chris Archer for Miguel Sano. I just don't see the Rays saying yes to that one for one. So what you're suggesting is, could you sweeten the pot for a guy like Archer? Or maybe it's a guy like Marcus Stroman. Or... I mean, there's a bunch of good young pitchers you could come up with. You know, yeah, I guess. Sure. I mean, I don't know if the Rays have an interest in Nick Gordon. Is that too much? Or I, mean, uh, I guess, is that the conversation? Gonsalves? <sighs> I mean, that's a potential ace pitcher, but it would He's be... He's more for... like a three. Is he? Okay. Yeah, All Romero right. would be the one I would pause on. Okay. 
I would not trade Romero plus Sano to bring back Chris Archer. That's a little too much for my liking. Gonsalves, well, I think he'll have a lengthy major league career. Yeah, I think he's more a back end of the rotation type guy. So Gonsalves, so what is the hypothetical? Because I think I got the tweet too, but I don't have well, it uh, right up there were, right There now. were other names, but those would be at the top. It would be Gonsalves and Sano to bring in Archer. I think the idea would be, you know, the Rays, you're just you're not winning in the next couple of years with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Mm. I mean, you look at all the moves the Yankees made. I mean, they're not positioning themselves to either go get Manny Machado or Bryce Harper next offseason, or maybe they strike a trade for Machado soon. Although I don't know if the Orioles want to trade him within the division. But those superstars are free agents this time next year. Yeah. The Yankees are well positioned to grab one of those marquee free agents. In addition to having all this all-world talent, making the trade for Stanton. You know the Red Sox will do something big soon, whether it's J.D. Martinez. Maybe they are positioning themselves to sign Bryce Harper a year from now. But you know the Red Sox will be active, you know, whether it's now or in a year. So if you're the Rays, you're in rebuild mode, right? So it would make some sense to move not only Archer, but a few guys, whether it's also Jake Odorizzi. Alex Colome is a good closer. So if you could get somehow Archer plus Colome for your hypothetical of Sano, Gonsalves, Gordon, okay. Now you're talking. Now you're thinking about a deal that might make some sense. But the Rays might want more than that. They might say, okay, Gonsalves is good, but we want Romero. Mm -hmm. So would you do Sano, Romero, and Gordon for Archer and Colome. I, th- I think, you know, this speaks a little bit to bigger picture with this team. Are are we in a position to think about the Minnesota Twins as a team after where they finished last year that should be going crazy to buy and try to win the World Series with something like that? I mean, that that's a big buy. That's trading away one of your biggest assets. And then a top prospect, even if you don't think Gonsalves is going to be an ace, uh, but if Romero's going to be that guy uh, and a future ace, would you trade him away? Or do you let it simmer? Do you let it just keep growing with the number of prospects that you have? You drafted number one last season, and you get a guy that looks like uh, it won't be too long with Royce Young before Royce Young? Yeah, okay. Royce Lewis. Royce Lewis. Royce Young is a good He's NBA a good writer. NBA writer. Really yeah. good NBA Sorry, writer. Sorry, I knew I had that wrong. I'm not in baseball shape these days, but... Uh, Royce Lewis, though, like, I mean, from what he did in the minors last year, made good progress. Yeah, I mean, it looks like he has a chance. He's still, what, 17 or 18 years old. I mean, he's still three and a half years away, but yeah, he has a chance. Well, but that's my point, though, is that do you want to sit there and say, okay, well, all right, Royce Lewis is going to be coming through here in a couple years, right? He's going to be here in two, three years, and Nick Gordon's going to be here very soon before that. Boreos looks good. Romero looks like a guy. Gonsalves looks like a guy. So do we want to just let it build slowly like that and potentially miss the playoffs next year uh, or or just slip in again, have a very similar team that we had? Or do we want to try to take some of these assets that might be at their peak right now with prospects? That's how the was part of the money ball theory is prospects are prospects for a reason because they haven't done anything yet. And if someone's willing to give you an established star to include those would you do it? So, I mean, that kind of goes back to our what's going to happen in 2018 question in Minnesota sports. Are the Twins going to take the approach that they can win right now and get some stars to go make a run of it? 
Or are we in for another year of, hey, they do some good things, they do some bad things, but just wait till 2019 or just wait till 2020? I think somewhere in the middle. I'm telling you, I think they acquire some starter. Do they go all in on a Miguel Sano trade? No, I'm telling you right now. I see Miguel Sano as the Twins starting third baseman opening day against Seattle at Target Field in early April. But I think it makes sense to market him while you can as a third baseman, while he can still sort of play third base. You know, so why not? Why not float him out there just to see if anything sticks? But I still see Sano here. Here's what I would do. I don't think they'll do it. But I would give the six years to you, Darvish, fully knowing, fully acknowledging years five and six have a chance to be a disaster. But you think about long-term money the Twins are tied to, there's not much. I mean, year five of you, Darvish, Phil Hughes isn't here, for example. You know, Joe Maurer's contract is up after next season. I think they re-signed Brian Dozier, but he's a free agent after the year. They're not tied to all this long-term money. Eventually, they will be when you give Buxton a long-term deal. If Sano sticks, you know, if you don't ultimately trade him, you know, Sano, a Barrios. But for the time being, you don't have a lot of money committed. Years five and six of a U Darvish deal. So I would roll the dice. I would give U Darvish. I would think, you know what, the World Series disaster, he was tipping his pitches. There's a lot of talent there. I want U Darvish. I want him starting opening day. I want him to make 28 starts for me in 2018. We can make a run in 2018. Now I'll say this much, though. I've heard this from people internally with the Twins. They feel like they're still closer to the teams that were chasing them for that second wild card. Mm -hmm. You think about the Angels and the Rangers and the Orioles and the Blue Jays. You know, I mean, 85 wins typically doesn't get you in the postseason. You know, so if you're the Twins, the goal is we need to get to 90 wins. You look at the Indians. They lose Brian Shaw. They lose Carlos Santana. Heck, they're shopping Danny Salazar. Jason Kipnis's name has been floated about. Do I think the Indians are trading Kipnis? No, but that's what teams do when I'm saying Sano's being floated. The Indians are floating Jason Kipnis. You know, teams float guys. But I'm saying there might be a window here to leap over the Cleveland Indians, as good as the Indians are. They've taken a hit so far this winter. You know, so keep this thing going. You know, so to me, you know, you might have to recalibrate. Maybe when Derek Falvey took this job, he didn't foresee 2017 being a playoff year, but it ended up being that. I would recalibrate. So I would go, I would go to six years on Darvish. Why trade a really good player? Even with the warts that Miguel Sano has, Matthew, why trade Sano when you can get a really good pitcher by just paying him a lot of money? You don't have to trade an asset or two. Keep all those assets and sign you Darvish, even though it'll take six years, $130 million. I would give him that, but I'm telling you, there's a good chance a guy that had Tommy John surgery, when he's 36, 37 years old, you are looking at a disaster. That you Darvish would be on the payroll. Now, to me... I would front load the contract, you know, six years, 130, pay him a ton of money, 2018, 2019, 2020. So you're not taking it in the shorts big time, 2022, 2021. But that's what I would do. I don't think they will do that, even though they love you, Darvish. I think they would love to have him on a four-year deal. Six years is where they hesitate. But that's what I would do if I was running that front office, the way this team is currently positioned. I would give the best free agent starter all that money while keeping all my assets. What I think I would rather see the Twins sign a pitcher and stay competitive and win a few more games to get in that playoff race. And then, you know, maybe you've got a chance, depending on where you stand, to beat Houston or to beat New York in a playoff series. Uh, in baseball, it becomes one of those, you know, nothing's impossible when you get to the playoffs sort of thing that we've seen inferior teams 
make their way to the World Series. It, it doesn't have to be that those two teams are just unbeatable. It's not like the Warriors where you basically just have to stay out of their way because they're going to win because they're just better than everybody. Mm-hmm. Warriors and Cavs every year, you know, maybe there's some other teams that sneak into the conversation this year, but that's how it was last year. Like, oh, forget about it. If you're trying to build the win now, don't do it because of that. Oh, I think um, that's going to be the way it'll be this year it's going to be warriors Cavs in the finals oh yeah but in baseball maybe the rockets have a little bit of a chance but if i had to bet it's warriors Cavs. like you know how the nba season will finish yeah in baseball it's a not little bit more way. of a crapshoot yeah, it's not that way right you get a couple of hot pitchers and you've seen super teams go down for a little while the philadelphia phillies had like the super team they won one but then they also lost in the first round uh to the st louis cardinals one year mm-hmm. where they just got cold and it didn't work out uh, so i think with baseball there's much less like well we should be patient because we're not going to beat them now and we better wait um at the same time i, I think that the way this team is sort of trending uh, is Houston Astros like in that it's got all the prospects that very soon will be right there and ready to take you from, well, maybe we'll make the playoffs to a really, really competitive team for a very long time. And what I would not want them to do is to move on from some of those prospects uh, and have to trade out your most powerful and dangerous hitter. I think I would rather have the years of Sano, and if he decides to leave, he decides to leave. And maybe when Joe Maurer is done, you move him over to first base, mm-hmm. and you bring in somebody else at third base, and you've got a guy who, at worst-case scenario, plays 120 games a year and hits you 30 home runs and strikes out a bunch, mm-hmm. which is a pretty valuable player. It's not the most valuable player that maybe we once dreamed Sano could be, but if you have to start tacking on your Nick Gordon or your Romero or your Gonsalves, I, I start to say, eh, you know, that might be just giving up too much when one of these guys will probably hit eventually anyway, and there are free agents, like you mentioned, with you Darvish. And Darvish, we, we think of him as the with the Dodgers as being horrendous, with the Dodgers, he had a 344 ERA. Until it's recency the, bias. Until the playoffs, it's, everybody yeah. remembers the World then it Series. Was a mess. It was a mess in the playoffs. But I'm telling you, read Tom Verducci's article on SI.com. He lays out the compelling case, including quotes from Astros players. That he was tipping. And I'm telling you, it happens in that sport. I'm convinced. Oh, Nobody yeah. with the Twins will acknowledge this, but I'm convinced a few years ago, when the Twins were kicking Chris Sale's butt when he was with the White Sox, it was Molly. It was Tory Hunter. They picked up on something. Mm-hmm. Chris Sale was tipping his pitches. That's how the Twins were destroying him. Yep, he's destroying everybody else across baseball except for the Twins. The Twins just hit the you know what out of Chris Sale. You know, so it happened. So I firmly believe he was tipping his pitches to the Astros. The Astros took full advantage. But yeah, there's a lot to like about you, Darvish. I'm just saying my trepidation is any guy that's had Tommy John surgery even though about 50%, if not higher, of all the pitchers in Major League Baseball have undergone Tommy John surgery or will undergo Tommy John surgery, I hesitate on a lengthy deal. A guy that's had Tommy John, when he's 36 or 37 years old, there's just not going to be a whole lot there. So uh, Doogie has come across the information that uh, Miguel Sano's name is being floated out there, uh, at least marketed a bit. Uh, the possibility of a trade. Not and a gar- I don't even think it's a lot a of teams. I think it's, I mean, anybody can connect the logical dots of who are some good, young, controllable pitchers that could potentially be available. That's why we float out hypothetically Chris Archer, right? That Tampa is clearly in a rebuild. Tampa needs a third baseman. Okay, Tampa makes sense. 
the Toronto Blue Jays, Marcus Stroman, same division as the Yankees and Red Sox, right? There's a few other examples I'd have to write down. I'm with you. I'm not in baseball shape right now, per se. You know, but if you gave me five minutes, I could come up with three or four other names. You know, unfortunately, Garrett Cole's only under team control for two more years. Mm-hmm. But the Pirates have an interest in selling some of their assets. You know, so yeah, I mean, it makes sense, but it's not like Sano's name's been floated to 25 teams. I think it's a very small amount of teams. So if you got a thought on that, the idea of trading Miguel Sano, since it now seems possible, I hadn't even really entered my mind that that would be something that you would do. Uh, feel free to give us a call, 651-646-8255. Questions of significant importance coming up next. Mackie and Judd now continue. Get the name right, and then if you're lucky, they'll appear. On 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. Well, the uh, question that is out there now is, would you be interested in the twins shopping Miguel Sano? I guess we can't quite go to shopping with the level of report uh, from Doogie, but at least his name has been floated or marketed out there that... uh, he is not untouchable for the Minnesota Twins. So would you be interested in exploring deals for Miguel Sano if you're the Twins? All right, Dave, what do you have for uh, questions of significant importance? Let's start with this one. Wolves game last night. It was called by the NBA on TNT crew before, after, or during and post game. They were all there. And after the game, they all sort of agreed that there's one problem that the Wolves have more than any other. And this was the conversation. I want to have it for you here. Tibbs is not going to change. And, you know, we want them to have a faster pace, but guess what? They're fourth in the yeah. West. They're doing fine. Their but, record but, should be better, yeah, but, but you still, he wants them to execute in the half court. But you still, because in the playoffs. Yeah, well, first of all, Shaq, you can still execute in the playoffs. I mean, in, in the half court. But you still, I'm going to tell you a scary thing I would like to see. <laughs> Jeff Teague coming at me full speed with Carl Anthony Towns on one wing. Wiggins on the other wing, and I'm not even counting Jimmy Butler. That would be scary for any team in the NBA to have those young guys. I'm not saying I don't agree with you. Okay. I, I totally I think agree that's with why, you, but I'm just saying they're not going to do that. But I think you that's why it's tough that. for Andrew Wiggins to every night be consistent because he's not really a great spot-up shooter, and he's really not a great three to four dribble guy like he's going to just open the floor up at three to four dribbles so but in the break he, he's but great. in the break and yes. then the game is moving faster he is very difficult and i think you saw that too with tyus jones in that second unit yeah, there yes. was. and the ability to push yeah, it was. and get the get the tempo up a little bit all right they all agree the wolves would be a better team you move the ball down the floor you push it you fast break and try to get points in transition and i think huh it's a team that struggles on defense. You push the pace. That means the other team is getting the ball more and more options to score, and you're probably having to play then more uh, transition defense as well. I'm not sure that's such a great idea. Your opinions? I think you're right, Dave. You're very astute on that one. Also, the Wolves are a good offensive rebounding team. The more offensive rebounds you grab, that impacts your pace of play. So in theory... Sure, well, we'd like to see the Wolves get up and down more, but i love to see Jeff Teague dribble less. Ernie Johnson, very astute there on Tyus Jones. Tyus should play more. Yes, in theory, it makes sense. But yes, you also need to come up with stops on the defensive end to be able to push the pace. They are not a good defensive team. I'm not quite sure we'll see them be a good defensive team the rest of this year. 
Maybe that's something that evolves over the next couple of years. So, yeah, on the surface, sure, Charles, Shaq, Kenny, sounds great. But when you really dig in on it, it doesn't add up. doesn't feel to me like this Timberwolves team yet really has an identity or understands who it is. Uh, I mean, they're not a grinded-out team. They're not like when Memphis was good, where you're, you know, you're in for just slow basketball and Marcus all beating you up down low. You're not, okay. It's not that type of thing because Carl Anthony towns, isn't going to beat you up. Um, but they don't play the fastest brand of basketball yet. Their scoring totals are pretty good because they get to the free throw line. They get to the free throw. So maybe line, that's the right? identity, a team that can really get to the free throw line. They can score a lot of free baskets or free points, I guess through points of, the game, though, almost every time I watch them, there are times where they look really on the same page on offense, and then there are way too long a stretches where it's, like you said with Jeff Teague, dribble, 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 where you'd like to see them be on the same page. You'd like to see them moving the ball around. And the offense, they don't really have offensive issues, but why I think it's not consistently really good throughout a game is the same reason that it's not good on defense, which is they don't seem to really play together yet. Where you watch some of the teams that have been together for a long time with the same coach, and they move the basketball around, it seems like they know where they're going to be. It's almost the same problem that Oklahoma City has with uh, Carmelo Anthony, Paul George, trying to figure out how to play with Russell Westbrook. And as they figure that out going down the stretch, maybe we'll see a very different Oklahoma City team than we see right now. Well, and we are right now. I mean, heck, they've won like four or five straight games. They looked really good yesterday against the Rockets. You know, one of the Thunder's issues is that Carmelo isn't making shots. I mean, he's never shot this low a field goal percentage. You know, so if he just simply was a better shot maker, that would help. But yeah, I mean, it takes a good amount of time. Like I always say, you bring in that many new players, give it until at least Christmas, if not mid-January, before you formulate really strong opinions. But yeah, on the Wolves, yeah, I mean, oftentimes it is a lot of hero ball, mm-hmm. a lot of individualism. Yep. yep. You know, five, four, three on the shot clock, and it's Jimmy Butler just jacking up along too, or it's Jeff Teague over dribbling. They need to get the ball down low more. I've said for weeks, heck, more than that. Carl Anthony Towns needs to touch the ball more. Doesn't mean he has to shoot more. Get him the ball in the low block. Let him initiate the offense from down there. So yeah, you're right about that. And I'll make the point again that I made in the first hour. The schedule has done them favors. Mm-hmm. You know, can they sustain this offensive success as the schedule gets a lot more difficult? If you look at their schedule for the next month, pack a lunch. They have either the toughest or second toughest remaining schedule based on strength of schedule in the Western Conference. So they will play a lot of good teams the rest of the way. They've also benefited from, you know, they play Utah without Rudy Gobert. They play the Heat without Hassan Whiteside. They beat the Clippers twice, no Blake Griffin. You know, they beat the Spurs once, no Kawhi Leonard. They beat the Nuggets last week, no Gary Harris Jr. They beat the Suns over the weekend, no Devin Booker. They beat the Lakers last night, no Lonzo Ball, no Brandon Ingram. They have benefited greatly from the opposition missing some of its key players through these first, what is it now, 34 games. But they're still a playoff team. You know, I don't think they'll finish fourth. They're currently in the fourth spot. I don't think they finish fourth, but they will be among the top eight in the Western Conference. We're talking about Vikings' possible playoff opponents. It looks like, uh, assuming they're the second seed, it could very well be the Rams coming to U.S. Bank Stadium. 
for the division round as the third seed if they were to able to get by the six, which looks like it would probably be the uh, Atlanta Falcons. Let's just say that happens. Vikings, Rams, division round. Go back to November 19th. The Rams went uh, down the field in their first drive, put it in the end zone, and got shut out the rest of the way. Vikings win 24-7. What's the more likely scenario? Mike Zimmer finds a way to stick it to him again. Or Sean McVay finds a way to say, you know what, I can put up 20 on you guys or get into the 20s. I would be concerned about Sean McVay because I think he is a very, very good coach. And when you go back to last year, uh, Vikings go to Washington and the Washington offense put up a lot of points on them in a win there. Sean McVay was their offensive coordinator. It's not like he's never beaten Mike Zimmer before in any capacity. Uh, the Vikings defense is stronger this year than it was at that point last year. I think Anthony Barr was probably hurt at that point last year, um, and, and that might have uh, taken him down a notch from where they are right now. Uh, but McVay is legit when it comes to his offensive prowess. And one thing that the Vikings did to them in that game was the call came in from McVay to Jared Goff, and he got up to the line of scrimmage, and they got set. And then the Vikings changed. They made a bunch of changes after they waited for the Rams to get set. And I think maybe next time the Rams aren't going to allow them to do that or they're going to give them a lot of looks to to throw the Vikings defense off. I would not count on scoring, uh, only having to score eight points to beat the Rams. I think if they play the Rams again, that's a team I would be concerned about. And I think you'll have to beat them in more of a shootout than just, oh, yeah, we're going to hold you to seven points. I think it's more the former, Dave. I would actually be more concerned about the Saints coming here than the Rams. I think you're right, though. I mean, I think the Rams beat the Niners this weekend. That locks them into the three seed. I see the Vikings being the two seed. And yeah, whether it's Seattle or Atlanta, I think the three seed Rams beat the six seed Seahawks or Falcons. So yeah, let's play this thing out. I do think it's Rams-Vikings January 13th or 14th. Divisional playoff weekend. That first Vikings playoff game, the Rams are coming here. Wade Phillips would worry me. Good yeah, defensive yep, coordinator. Yep, yep. And I'm telling you, the Rams had like their fourth cornerback on Adam Thielen on that long touchdown. That's not going to happen again. They were a bit dinged up. They lost a couple guys in game. I do think it would be a more competitive game. But I think the Vikings would beat the Rams here. I wonder what the history is for teams that, like how it played out in the regular season versus how it played out in the playoffs, that faced each other and then got to the playoffs. I'm sure that's happened hundreds of times. I don't know if there's any sort of trend of teams making adjustments. Both of those teams would be concerning to the Vikings. They're not the ones that I would pick out that you want to play. I'm with you. I mean, it's a low percentage, but give me the Panthers. If somehow the the six seed won. Yep. Then the five-seed Panthers beat the four-seed Saints. So it was Panthers-Vikings January 13th or 14th? That's where I was going. That I, would be fantastic. I would want the Panthers again. Bring them here. Mm-hmm. I think I also... I just don't see it, though. Ron Rivera is not a good coach. I think he is a mm. bad NFL coach who has I'll had, defer to you on that. Who has had one of the best players in the NFL, or most talented players in the NFL, won an MVP, and for one year they had a good defense and they went 15-1. and won. Uh, but other than that, the coaching decisions that he makes consistently, I am I'm baffled by. And until now, really, they haven't come up with an offense that fit Cam Newton all that well, and they still can't execute it very well. If you're bringing Ron Rivera in here with no wide receivers, basically McCaffrey is their biggest guy that they throw to all the time, and the Vikings shut down opposing running backs coming out of the backfield um, with his inevitable 
mistakes with game management. Give me that. And I think that their defense is is flawed. It's not perfect. I mean, they gave up three touchdowns last week. They gave up at the end of that game some stuff to Case Keenum as well that allowed the Vikings to get back in the game. And it took a Thielen touchdown turned over, drops from guys who never dropped the ball, a 60-yard run from a 70-year-old running back that just is random and doesn't ever happen to this defense. Everything had to go right for Carolina to win by seven points. I would prefer to match up with them even though you lost than the other two teams that are playing, I think, better now than they were before. I mean, it's the Todd Gurley factor at this point, too, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. he's just been absurd. When you do what he did against Seattle, and I get it, Seattle's missing some guys, but it's still a good front seven. Seattle is great against running backs. You look at what he did a couple weeks ago. Isn't he the MVP at this point? It's unfair that Carson Wentz got hurt. Heck, based on the way Nick Foles played last night, you can make a case Wentz is still the MVP. (laughs) But I don't think Carson Wentz wins the MVP at this point. No, maybe it's Tom Brady because he wins every year. You know, or could you can make a case that he should win every year? Yeah, but I think Todd Gurley is probably the MVP. You know, so is Gurley a different player from even four weeks ago when the Rams came here? So yeah, I mean, that would be an interesting game. But I still say, if you can avoid the Saints for as long as you can avoid the Saints, I'd rather play the Rams than the Saints. All right, last question. Whether it be uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever, a lot of kids got a lot of nice gifts over the last seven to ten days. I want to know, guys, if you remember the best holiday uh, time gifts you received as a kid, because mine are stuck in my memory and they won't leave. So, so was the best holiday gifts? The best gifts, uh, yes, holiday gifts you got as Ever. a child. Just of all time? Yes, the one that sticks in your head the most. Hmm. Let me think about that. By the way, a tweeter makes a good point. The Rams in that game in November here. Fumbled at the one-yard line. Oh, that's true, yeah. yeah so there's a flukiness yeah. about that. Now that's the true. Vikings had the ball deep in Rams territory at the end of the game. Took some knees. But there were some fluky things about that Rams-Vikings game. The injuries especially. That lend you to think that yeah. you look at the final score 24-7, ah, the Vikings won that game rather easily. Not so much. Yeah, a little bit more competitive than the score indicates. Also a throw from Case Keenum where he looks like he just launched it up in the air when he was on the run and Adam Thielen came down with it that, as we saw last week on some of those throws during the Packers game, that doesn't always work out that way. Um, the best Christmas gifts ever. I'm, I don't really have like a super, super, super creative one. Uh, my dad one time moved heaven and earth to find us a legit toboggan. Like See, a, That's very cool. Like mm-hmm. a real, mm-hmm. I mean, not just like the plastic one that you get at whatever place you shop at. The big curved uh, yes. front, yeah. The one that takes actual like ski, uh, what is it, wax? You actually yeah. wax the bottom of it. And with me and my two brothers going down a big long hill, that thing was reaching peak speed and was legit dangerous. But it was <laughs> really fun on that toboggan. Other than that, every Madden video game. It was always every Christmas is when mm-hmm. I got Madden, and that was always the highlight for me. Yeah, I mean, it might have been any number of Sega Genesis video games. How about this, though? Remember the sitcom ALF? Oh, yeah. This would have been when I was like second grade, first grade. So this would have been like 86 or 87. I had a healthy obsession with Alf. There was this Alf (laughs) doll. That's not healthy, just so you know. You know, you pulled the string and it talked to you and did all that. Uh And yeah, much like your dad bended over backwards to Mm -hmm. find that toboggan, my dad did the same thing, trying to track down that Alf doll for me. So Um, 
It probably would be that. Anybody else have Teddy Ruxpin? You remember Teddy Ruxpin? I do. Yes. I remember it. Didn't he have it. He was a bear that talked. The same mm -hmm. sort of thing. You'd put a tape in his chest and he would talk. But the thing with Teddy Ruxpin was he was just big enough and that hard chest to use as a football tackling dummy to throw Teddy <laughs> Ruxpin down the stairs because he'd have enough weight to go doof, 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 down the yeah. stairs, punch him in the face. He was like durable. So you could really beat up Teddy Ruxpin. And uh, that was when I was real young, but that was a good one too. The other one, Dave, was <laughs> I was Mackey-esque with my obsession with the W. At that point, it was WWF. Yes. Mm. So any number of tickets to WWF events, any number of, you name, action figures, you know, whatever it was, Hulk Hogan, you know, Mr. Wonderful, the Ultimate Warrior, you know, all those guys, getting any number of, of toys that, that reflected my love of of the WWF certainly would qualify. 100% with you. I was a Hulkamaniac back in the day. What about you? What's your, uh, uh, what's the, your best? The big one was when we went downstairs uh, after opening, you know, the, the tree was upstairs, so we had opened presents and the, the parents say, hey, maybe you should go downstairs too. And then there was the ping pong table that we had no idea was mm. going to be there. They rearranged the basement and bought us a ping pong table, which actually now sits in my basement, which is pretty awesome. But we also had an uncle of mine. We, My brother and I played boot hockey in the driveway you know, all winter long religiously and always just, you know, had the plastic cones for goals. Well, he built us a couple goals of, you know, two by four, oh, fours nice, and chicken nice. wire. And it was just awesome. Wait a minute. We have actual goals now. It was, it was just the coolest, the coolest thing for a seven year old. Did you guys create games in the street and stuff like that? Oh yeah. When you were kids. Oh street yeah. We used to play 500 all the time, football, baseball, we were big on kick the can. That wasn't necessarily in the street. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up on a street with seven other kids within oh, a grade of me. Good. So it yeah. was fantastic. Perfect. Yeah. We had uh, a few of them. You mentioned the ping pong table. So we had this thing that could convert from a pool table to a ping pong table. Mm -hmm. It was it wasn't big. It wasn't like a full size. But well, the ping pong was really hard to play on that small of a table. So we created a game where we would set up a bunch of glasses throughout the kitchen and you would whack it and try to see who could get it in the most. <laughs> and it it broke many things, yes. but it was it was a great game. That's fantastic. So, I, I thought you were going to say you set up glasses and played beer pong as an 8-year-old. Uh, <laughs> uh no. <laughs> no, we did not. Paula uh, grew up in New York, not Wisconsin. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. Good yeah, one. Yeah, because they don't drink in upstate New York. No. <laughs> yeah, I think they do. Uh, Doogie, let's uh, let's move over. We've been talking about what's next for teams. 2018, what we expect. You would uh, be more dialed in on this than most of us, I think. Let's talk about the Gophers. We'll finish this off a little bit with the Gophers. Because on this station here, there's uh, some headbutting over the future of the Gophers and whether it's going to be bright or not. But how about the immediate future? I'm going to ask you that next. Uh, Collar and Doogie in for Mackey and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I'm trying to get our players to listen to me instead of listening to you guys. Mackey and Judd. It's like poison. You know what I mean? It's like taking poison. On 1500 ESPN. And this portion of Mackey and Judd with Collar and Wilson, sponsored by Pleasureland RVs. So to end last segment, I just said, what's the future of the Gophers? Uh, I didn't say specifically which sport. I think we know volleyball is going to continue to be good. I think we know women's hockey is going to be to continue to be good. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to see a lot more out of women's basketball, to be honest. I'm a little disappointed. It's at that. changing slowly. 
They're actually stopping the opponent from time to time this year. 11 non-conference victories hitting the conference play later this week. It's not a team that looks real dangerous of uh, making a Lindsey Whalen-like run. No, but I mean, that's a mirage. That's not the trend. I mean, it's not like Gophers women's basketball was ever this legendary program. They do have a professional player. I mean, Carly Wagner is good enough to make money playing one day, so... You know, maybe they have a chance this year in her final year. Yeah, it'd be nice to see them get to be very relevant again. Mostly because I'm just a women's basketball mm-hmm. fan, and I would like to see that. But uh, let's put those aside. I think we know who they are. But the two teams that are debated a lot more are the basketball squad and the old football club. With Let's start with the, the P.J. Fleck Gophers. Here on the station, as I listen on a daily basis, I hear midday... Phil Mackey is a believer in, in the P.J. Fleck direction, and Mr. Patrick Royce, not so much. And I think it, I definitely will get on that snark bus when it comes to the elite stuff and when it comes to some of the process things. I, it, My brain, it just melts down when I listen to that man talk. That doesn't mean that they won't win. It just is, it is maddening at times, the amount of BS that just is coming out of his face. So sometimes you just want to go like, stop it. Just stop it. Like I get a quarterback and win some games and just say nothing uh, rather than this. Everything's elite. Everything's culture. Everything's process. Yeah. Like I, I try to separate myself from, you know, I think they probably had a good recruiting class and they probably will get better, but Fleck won't win unless he has a quarterback. And it's probably as simple as that. And the other stuff that makes me want to go, Man, I hope they don't win a game. <laughs> yeah. when, when he talks, there are times where I just go, just, I go, Owen, oh, whatever, how many games you play, because I just can't take this anymore. I can take it just because I've been around him enough where I now do truly believe this is who he is. What I don't get is some of the holdovers, some of the recruiting guys, you know, some of the people that were here, previous regimes. They now are using the word elite a lot. And you know what? Give me a break. That was never in your vocabulary. You know, that's not who you are. So stop trying to impress PJ Fleck. But when it comes to Fleck, I'm firmly convinced that's who he is. He gets it when it comes to the quarterback position. He got the number one junior college quarterback in the country. Ole Miss wanted the kid. Kansas wanted the kid. Sometimes it's hard for JUCO guys just because... Your time is limited, but this kid, Vic Viramontis, has three years of eligibility left. I would make him the favorite to be the 2018 starting quarterback. But they still like this Tanner Morgan kid. You know, he'll be a redshirt freshman next year. He has a chance. You know, they have a commitment from the Eden Prairie quarterback, who I like a lot. I think over time he'll have a lot more offers. Cole Kramer, Carter Coughlin's cousin. You know, he's working on some other 2019 quarterbacks, so he realizes whether Veramontis is the guy or not for the next few years, Matthew, that remains to be seen. But trust me, he understood the second he got this job, I need to fix the quarterback position. Now, he thought Connor Rhoda had a chance to be the long-term starter, at least for 2017. You know, started early, you know, then he went back to Croft. You know, so it was a little bit of a yo-yo there. And then Croft ends up leaving. It was a nightmare. It was. It was a nightmare watching those guys play quarterback. You know why it was a nightmare? Because a lot of Gophers fans were yearning for the days of Mitch Leidner. Like, many (laughs) Gophers fans couldn't fathom the idea of having Mitch Leidner back, even though, you know, I'll defend Mitch in many ways. But I just know how a lot of Gophers fans think. You know, and they were like, please, 
Give me Mitch Leidner back. I can't take this quarterback play anymore. Right. So that's what it comes down to for me. I can separate my thought of all that conversation from him, especially covering Mike Zimmer. There are days where Mike Zimmer is so salty, you basically can't ask him anything. But I will take that a hundred times over because he's also honest many of the times. And also, I think if you ask an honest question, he will break things down for you. Just if you ask him about what an offensive lineman's impact is, he'll tell you like, oh, he can do this, he can do this. And you learn when listening to Mike Zimmer on a daily basis. I actually think and Fleck is capable of talking a lot of well, X's and O's. Well, he has at times. Yeah, of course You just is. get lost in... In the nonsense. In the other stuff. And that's why it drives but me But he knows crazy. the game. He can talk the game very intelligently. Well, that's why, that's why it drives me crazy, because I believe he knows the game. And I believe that he could tell you a lot of interesting things. It's just that... The whole elite culture process thing is just, I'm not going to say anything to you, but my mouth is going to move. Like, it's doing that sort of thing, and that drives me nuts. But that doesn't really make me think that the guy can't coach or can't recruit. It just, all that talk won't mean anything unless he gets the quarterback. And if they do next year, well, how many games are they going to win, I think is a really hard thing to pin down because we don't have a feel for any of those quarterbacks that you brought up. I do think they can win more games next year than they won this year. Now, it might just be by one, might be six. I still think making a serious run to a Big Ten West championship is more like 2020, maybe 2021. Now, it's not just fixing the quarterback. I mean, he brought in some good offensive linemen, brought in a Juco kid that should play right away. He brought in one of these kids from IMG Academy in Florida that actually should play as a true freshman. As hard as that is to think about, it's hard for offensive linemen to play as a true freshman. This kid, Curtis Dunlap, can come in at one of the guard spots, play as a true freshman. You think about some of the wide receivers they're bringing in. This kid, Bateman from Georgia, that should play right away. You know, they'll get Demetrius Douglas back. They'll have, I mean, the Wisconsin game just a few weeks ago, they're playing these walk-ons in that game. They had no chance at the wide receiver position. Wait until you see some of the receivers they have next year. So the quarterback will have everything around him to make plays. So we'll see. But I'm just telling you, Vermontis is highly thought of. You know, so they have a chance. But yes, I can guarantee you he realizes I had to fix the quarterback position. He feels like he'll be able to fix that with the Juco kid. All right, we'll wrap it up when we come back. Collar and Doogie in for Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd now continue. It's that time again. On 1500 ESPN. All right, just wrapping things up here. Collar and Doogie, I will be back. Uh, lots of hockey talk tomorrow. Jess Myers is going to be in. We'll have lots to talk about. Um, do you like all the bowl games? I, every year I feel like I hear complaints about, oh, the, the, the Idaho Bowl, huh? That's hilarious. It's stupid. I'm never going to watch those. I love it. I love this time of year when I can turn the TV on at a random time on a Tuesday. What do we got? One o'clock on a Tuesday, and I've got Utah and West Virginia. Give me Utah and West Virginia all day. I'll watch it. You know what? Why? Because something ridiculous will happen in this game. Something absurd will happen in every one of these silly college bowl games that I will find hilarious, or there'll be a 42 to 45 game that's great that for no reason keeps you compelled all the way to the very end. I'm indifferent. I mean, I don't mind these games when I go home now. It's something to watch. But if you had asked me a half hour ago, hey, who's playing today? I would have told you I have no idea. Oh, that's the best part, is that I don't have to care about it at all. I admittedly tune out even more when the Gophers are not in a bowl game. If the Gophers were playing in a bowl game, 
or if I was in some sort of pool, some sort of betting pool for entertainment purposes only, picking every bowl game, then I'd care more. But Utah, West Virginia, not so much. Now, I may reach out to a scout friend or two and say, hey, you know, give me a name or two to keep an eye on. Oh, no, 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 no. Then I might watch an individual player. That's not what this is about. But just watching Utah, West Virginia, no. I'll admit it doesn't do a whole lot for me. But it's better than nothing. This is about meaningless, nonsense football between two teams you don't care about at all and hoping that for some reason or another, it ends up being really entertaining. That is why I watch all of them. It's not about, oh, let me scout uh, number one from Utah here and see uh, if he's got elite skill set. No, it's nothing about that. It's entirely about, I have, uh, it's the holidays. I've got really like into my Vikings beat. And I'm going to watch something that has no implication on my life whatsoever. So and you have talking. no kids. That's the difference between well, of course, you yeah. and me. Yeah. I don't have the time you do. I can't invest three and a half hours in a college football game. Oh, I'm not watching all of it. Well, I also can oh, have I know it. you are. It's You're in, doing film breakdown. It's in the background while I work, which is also uh, a nice thing to have. Football. All right. Well, I'll be back tomorrow with Jess Myers. Lots of hockey talk then. Thanks, Dave Harrigan. Thanks, Doogie. You got it, Matt.